The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Good Night Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film Good Night, Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Good Night, Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Marilyn Monroe. This week's topic, love, Marilyn style. We'll uh, look at the loves and sex appeal all around Marilyn Monroe. This week's shout out to Deerfield Beach, Florida. Paula, hi. Nice to have you on uh, listening to the show today. Dawn in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And Ginger is listening in Paris. Well, we have an exciting show, as I said. I'd like to say thank you to Randall Libero, who's our uh, executive producer. Uh, Kevin, who's filling in today for uh, Mike as our engineer. And Drew Masters, our talent. Booker. But before we get started, I have to just say a shout out to one of my favorite entertainers in the world, Debbie Reynolds. Uh, it was her birthday this week. She was born on April 1st. She was born Mary Frances Reynolds, April 1st, 1932. She's obviously American actress, singer, dancer. Some of my favorites, Singing in the Rain, Unsinkable Molly Brown, and I remember Tammy the Bachelor. I don't know if you guys remember that, uh, that wonderful movie, but uh, I remember my mom took me to see her in Reno, Nevada at uh, Harris, and I was about nine years old. I was so excited. I thought she was so glamorous, and she walked out on stage and walked down uh, towards the audience, and she looked at me, and she winked, and she gave me a little wave, and from that on, then on, I said, she is one of my favorites, and so happy birthday, Debbie Reynolds. Maybe we could even get her on the show as we uh, explore the era of the golden age of Hollywood, but before we get started as well, uh, there was a uh, some news that came to me today. I just want to just tell you, I, I think that uh, based on the knowledge that we are getting, that it's fake. But if you see it out there, uh, supposedly there's a 78-year-old retired officer of CIA, Norman Hodges, who has uh, says that he has a series of uh, confessions. One of them is that he killed Marilyn Monroe. Uh, as it stands right now, we think it's fake, but we are having Daryl Connerton, our CIA investigator investigation team member actually look into it uh, and really see if there's any merit there but he supposedly says that uh, along with other people in the, in uh, you know in the world from 59 to 72 that he was the one uh, responsible for killing Marilyn and making it look like a suicide but uh, you know those are rumors and part of what we're doing here is uh, expelling fact 
from fiction. So with that, let's get this show started. Uh, Love Marilyn style. Well, my first guest, and I I have uh, met her several times before. She is one of uh, the most incredible, uh, incredible, uh, incredibly credible modern day Marilyns by major newspapers. That's what they call her. Holly Beaven is the leading professional Marilyn Monroe impersonator you saw in Jared Leto's 2013 short film, City of Angels, the winner of numerous lookalike and entertainment awards. Holly's performed as Marilyn across the United States and throughout the world. Welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. I'm so glad to have you here. Uh, And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you in uh, for this morning show is to really find out from you, what is it like going out in the world and being Marilyn Monroe? How do people react to you? Well, my first response to that is just love. People love her. Um, I've only met one person from Malaysia who didn't know who she was, actually. <laughs> All wow. The, uh, jobs that I've done. Yeah, I know. Um, and it's, you know, I did a show in Wheeling, West Virginia last year, and a girl had her family drive 12 hours round trip to come see me. And, uh, and that was just amazing, you know. And... Yeah, so I, I would have to say that. And and tell me, what do you think in terms of you know uh, you know people love her? What do you think it is about her that they just love? Well, she's of course beautiful, but I think that's almost a real side point because there's a lot of beautiful women out there in the world. But uh, I think because she was um, so open and vulnerable, she dealt with so many uh, different issues that. People experience all over the world, you know, and so I, I think it's really that 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 hooks people into her. It, it it's her emotional side, her sensitivity, her um, insecurities, all of that. So, how did you come become, you know, the one of the you know top leading Marilyn impersonators? How did that come about? Oh, geez. I was. I moved. It, it's a really, really long story, and it almost wears me out to think about it. Cause it almost <laughs> freaks me out too, because I hate to be fatalistic, and because that's kind of depressing. Like you don't have a choice. But uh, I, I moved to Indianapolis when I was thirteen, and um, I, I grew up. You know, my dad's bipolar with psychotic overtones. Um, you know, I, I've had a lot of personal experience with with mental illness and having crazy people trying to convinced me that I was the crazy one and all of that growing up. So I, I moved around a lot. I, I didn't have a lot of um, continuity between schools and churches and even cultures, so I always felt kind of alone. And then I, I moved to Indianapolis, and I was like, you know, this is a fresh start, and I'm, I'm just I'm going to reach out to people. I'm going to try to connect. And I was planting flowers. This guy drove by in his Vespa. He he drugged me, and we became friends. He was the same age as me. He drugged me to an acting class. My first part given to me was a dumb blonde type, and one of my classmates ended up writing me a part as a Marilyn Monroe type in a movie. And then I um, went to the premiere, and Bernie Wayne, who was a famous songwriter, you know, told me that he wanted to take me to Vegas and make me a Marilyn impersonator. And I, I didn't even know that you could be... A professional entertainer because I, I grew up with hardly any TV or movies, very little bit of the outside world, very much in this Christian fundamentalist, um, 
tiny, tiny world. And I didn't know what curse words even meant when yeah. I started public high school. So yeah. Uh, anyway, so I kind of um, people always said, "Hey, you you know, called me Marilyn behind my back and stuff." I didn't know why, but um, well, my sounds- senior year, I, I did a a monologue competition. Somebody suggested bus stop and. Through one of the ladies there, her husband was a Harris Entertainment Casino director, retired, and he hooked me up with my first job at the President Casino Boat, and I just, I started working. I, I even had braces when I first started. I mean, I was really <laughs> so, so it actually, Holly, it actually came to you. It's not something that you sought out. So I find that very no. interesting, you know, and some of the stories that you said about in terms of vulnerability and insecurity. So if there's uh, something that you could leave us with as you're, as an impersonator for Marilyn, what would you like to say to us in the Marilyn voice and the Marilyn perspective? Sauna. Believe in yourself 100% of the time. <laughs> mm, that's Love really your nice. Life, live it now, you know. I, I really, yeah. Well, I want to so thank that, you. That's the thing for me is that I've been able to um, share Marilyn's love with people. And yes. because people idolize her so much, they, um, you know, when, when I've compliment them or when I make them feel good about looking totally different than Marilyn, but, but you know, they confess in, insecurities to me. You know, I, I'm able to make them feel better about themselves. And that's one of the best things. For me, I feel like Marilyn gave me a way out of that whole world. Um, you know, I was able to, I've been all over the world. I've met yes. people from all different cultures. It got me um, over my shyness and over my... Uh, well, very similar. Sounds like it's very similar to Marilyn, and there's a lot of oh. connections there. We've got to yeah, close out this absolutely. segment, but I want to say thank mm-hmm. you so much for being on the show with us today and giving us a little insight into your world and what it's like to uh, be out there uh, representing and impersonating Marilyn all these years. It's wonderful. Yeah, and I, I speak more about it in Art Decades magazine this issue this month, artdecades.com and on Amazon. Um, because there is just so much. I've been doing it so long. I've grown up under a wig, you know? <laughs> yes. And do you have a website as well that they can uh, follow you or on Facebook? Uh, yeah, Marilyn Monroe impersonator Holly Bevan. Is All right. And, and I also wanted to encourage everybody to sign the petition on goodnightmarilyn.com uh, about oh, that's her, so... uh, uh, overturning oh. of the uh, probable suicide. It's, it's I, I just don't think it paints the right picture to people out there in the world who, who especially don't know her very well. Yeah, and I think that with the petition, we are really trying to invite people into it versus uh, going on the attack, because uh, as you have heard me say, is the truth will set you free. And so thank you for that plug, Holly. Really appreciate it, because I think it's an important petition, especially as things are starting to come to light in the world. And I think this is one of them that needs to happen. So thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much, and I really appreciate what you're trying to do with uh, bringing the truth out, and I try to do that in my work, too, you know, it's, I'm always trying yes. to spread the, uh, the, the truth about Marilyn, who she was and who she wasn't. 
<laughs> yes, that's very true. That is very true. Yeah. So thanks again. All right, Thank you're you. listening. Thank you. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. If you'd like to uh, email us, please do at MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com, MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. And uh, as I said, we are talking about Marilyn, uh, you know, uh, Marilyn in, in the style of Marilyn and the sex appeal of Marilyn. Love Marilyn style. And my next guest is Douglas Kurt Kirkland, who I said and is one of the most well-known and well-respected photographers. Photographers. He has also photographed over uh, on over 150 uh, motion picture sets, including the Titanic and Great Gatsby. Kirkland has been named the Photographer of the Year by the PMDA, and he is with us today to talk about his wonderful upcoming re-release of his book, With Marilyn, An Evening, 1961, by Douglas Kirkland, published by Glitterati? Is it Glitterati? I think I ho- I'm saying it right. Incorporated and is available on sale August 5th, 2015. For all you Maryland fans, you know exactly what that date represents. So welcome to the show, Douglas. Nice to be with you today. And you didn't say Glitterati exactly right. Oh, well, that's good because I was like, I'm not quite sure how to say this. It's a strange this. name, but it's a very special name. It's a boutique publishing house, and uh, I've done eight books with them. And wow. uh, the Maryland book is is the most important one. Well, you send you know we're gonna t- we're gonna take a break in just a few minutes, but you sent me a copy of this uh, as is of the book, and it is just beautiful. It's just a beautifully done. It looks really really good. It's colorful. It's just inviting, and I want to hear about this story. You had uh, told us a little uh, kind of brief encounter of it uh, prior uh, prior to our conversation, and what a wonderful story. And it's one of the few people um, that can tell that they actually were with Marilyn in a significant way. So I'd love to uh, hear your story. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to hear all about that evening back in 1961. This is Goodnight Marilyn Radio. My guest is Douglas Kirkland. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, creator of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety.
news, opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, I'm Greg Schreiner from Marilyn Remembered. Did you know that Marilyn was really quite a down-to-earth girl? When she was making a picture, at lunchtime, instead of going to the commissary and sharing her lunch with all the other stars, she would bring in a sack lunch and have it with the film crew instead. For Good Night Marilyn Radio and Marilyn Remembered, I'm Greg Schreiner. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Our misquote for the week by, I love uh, Mary Jane Gray started this, I'm selfish, impatient, and a little insecure. I make mistakes. I'm out of control and at at times hard to handle. But if you can't handle me at my worst, then you sure in the hell don't deserve me at my best. Well, great quote, just not Marilyn Monroe. So if you see that quote floating around the internet, just know that is not a quote from Marilyn Monroe. So Douglas Kirkland is with me. His wonderful book, With Marilyn, An Evening, back in 1961. So Douglas... Let's go back to 1961. You as a photographer, a young photographer, what happened and how did you get to meet Marilyn? Well, I would uh, to begin with, I want to say that I've, I've worked around the film industry for all, close to 60 years now. And of all the people I've photographed, and it's an extensive list, no one seems to hold the interest that uh, matches Marilyn Monroe. They invariably say to me, Oh, well, that's interesting about this person and that person, but tell me about Marilyn. What was Marilyn really like? And that's not an easy question to answer because there were many Marilyns. I saw at least three different ones, and I could just describe those to you if you'd like. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Well, the first Marilyn I met, I came out here to the West Coast from New York where I was uh, based, and uh, I, w- I was uh, new with this magazine called Look Magazine. It was a, a publication that uh, had a circulation of 7,000 each issue. Uh, it, I mean, everybody saw Look and Life magazines. I eventually worked for both of them at different times. And, uh, but this was Look. I was young. I was new. And uh, I had had some success photographing uh, Elizabeth Taylor and that, and then Judy Garland, and now it was time for Marilyn because Look Magazine was turning 25 years of age, and uh, they wanted to put Marilyn in that issue in a very central way. And uh, I was sent to California, and I was, went with a couple of colleagues to her small place on Doheny Drive. That's a, a drive. Uh, in the center of, of sort of between Hollywood and Beverly Hills, and she was in a very lived in a very modest uh, place, and uh, I, it was I was rather uh, surprised at that. I expected to 
to find a superstar in a mansion, but uh, she was not a superstar in the way she responded that evening. On that first evening, uh, I went in with my two colleagues, and believe it or not, in the room there were only two chairs, and my two older colleagues immediately took them, and I was standing there with Marilyn, and she slapped the bed behind us, and she said, just sit here. I think of this as like a couch. <laughs> so we sat down. You see, Marilyn was almost very disarming because I expected to meet a superstar, like the kind of star I'd seen in the movies of growing up in Canada where I came from. Yeah, or, or, or a, a movie star that you're probably used to seeing in terms of the typical movie star. That's right. I mean, you know what it is interesting? Because I wanted to get, frankly, uh, some very warm, exciting, I'll have to use the word sexy, sexy or enticing pictures. That was my feeling when I was in my mid-20s. And uh, I didn't know how to say it. I was slightly embarrassed. I thought my colleagues would think I was little peculiar. And the interesting thing is, by the end of that interview with Marilyn, she said, I know what we need. We need a bed and, uh, a, a, and, and I, some Frank Sinatra records and Dom Perignon champagne and a white silk sheet. And I'm not going to wear anything but that white silk sheet. Well, for this boy from this tiny town in Canada of 7,000 people... That was very exciting, and as far as I could feel that evening, she had done my job for me because that's precisely what I wanted, and I couldn't believe that was really going to happen. But that talk was about, where it all began. The law, that was the talk, first Marilyn of the three the law, I can describe about, to you. Talk about the law of attraction there. So what's the second second evening? The second evening was the the photographic session about uh, two days later. And, um, you know, quietly, I'll tell you, after making that uh, first evening, I said to myself, uh, when I was waiting for the, the next, for the session to come up, I thought to myself, have I oversold myself? Am I not going to be able to do this? And she is a superstar, and I'm just a, a kid from Fort Erie in, in, in southern Ontario. And uh, am I in over my head? Uh, but I... Went to the session, prepared. Uh, Frank Sinatra Records were there. Uh, the Dom Perignon was well chilled. And the bed was there, and certainly the white silk sheet. Now, Marilyn was famous for arriving late. She arrived a couple of hours late, and I started to worry as I was waiting. I thought to myself, what am I going to tell my bosses in New York if she doesn't show up? Because they've sent me out here, and uh, uh, if I have failed to get any pictures, what are, what are they going to say to me? I was, I'd was i been working with this magazine just a little over a year, and it was a job which was very important to me, but I wanted to succeed on everything I did, and then at the other end of that studio, and I waited there with one a colleague, a journalist, and, and uh, Marilyn's um, press agent uh, who said, don't worry, she'll come. She's frequently a little late, but she always shows up. Well, she did show up. And uh, it was, was quite extraordinary because I went into, I heard a sound of the door opening at the other end of the studio, and I went into that room, 
And that's when I saw Marilyn, as we know her, on the screen. But even bigger than that, wow. uh, she seemed to almost float into the room. She didn't walk. She came, what I would describe in as almost floating in slow motion to, in my vision. And she was very, there was a brilliance almost uh, about her. She was wearing white, and she seemed to have the luminescence of a, of a true star in the sky, a very bright one. And that's what I, that was my first impression of her. Wow. And eventually we got uh, around to taking pictures, and um, I was up above her looking down on that bed. And, you know, the interesting thing is I didn't say, Marilyn, turn this way, turn that way. We just talked, and frankly, we flirted with each other, suggesting things that were not valid and really, but... It, that was where the buzz came, and Mar- that was, uh, for me, that was the true Marilyn Monroe. That was the power of Marilyn, to be able to live in a, a, a sexual uh, framework, even if it wasn't a true, a real, an actual one. And, and, does, uh, and eventually... And, and, and... And Douglas, isn't it isn't it uh, also at that time that you know, like you think about it, you know, between the photographer and the star? I mean, that's a beautiful dance that actually in those photos that you have in that book. I mean, it just captures that uh, intimacy there. Well, you know what really happened? It was a, a transition uh, at a certain point about midway through the photo session. She said, "I want to be alone with this boy. <laughs> I find it wor- usually works better that way." Wow. So here I was, Douglas Kirkland, the boy from the tiny town, and I was within arm's reach of Maryland. And uh, we talked, and uh, she, she suggested all sorts of things, which we're not supposed to, I don't think, happen, but she did, and uh, it was titillating. And you know what I did? I had a wife and two kids at home in New Jersey. I wasn't going to take her up on what she was suggesting. And what I did is I just pushed my head into that camera I had and kept taking pictures faster and faster. And I feel that's where the power of those images came from. Well, in some Uh, ways, in some ways, the suggestiveness of that dance that the two of you were doing was probably more powerful that way than actually if you would have acted on it being the fact that you are, you know, married and and, and children and all that stuff. It just sounds like the camera uh, took a life of its own. The camera had a license of its own, actually, and it (laughs) it took it all in. And I'm, I'm glad in retrospect that that happened that way. I wasn't uh, being noble or anything. I, w- I didn't uh, think it through. It, it, these, this is just the transition of what really occurred. And that's where these pictures that people uh, talk about so often came and from. How, and how beautiful they are. And I think about with Goodnight Merrill and the movie, you know, it's just uh, those pictures actually, uh, you know, have such a beautiful, beautiful uh, context to them. So, so, and you were hallowed when that happened. With I was 27 that at that time. 27. So that she was, was the 36. Se- 36. So that was right before her death. So what? Uh, what? Uh, what happened? It was about next? nine months before her death. Nine this months was before in November. Death. She died the following August. Okay. So so she was probably 35, 36 because she died yes, at 36, right? Correct. Yeah. So so what was the third time you uh, met with her? The, that was only uh, 
the, okay, to begin with, I'll just say we went through that evening taking these pictures this, with this electricity in the, in the air, and then I said we'd better let these people back in, and they came in, and uh, that was, we started folding things up. My, I had an assistant, and he hadn't been allowed in the room either, and he took one picture of my lying beside Marilyn just the way we were um, like minutes before, and it's it's great to have that image, and that's I love one of the that pictures picture. in the book. But uh, I love, frankly, I uh, the the next time I saw her was about uh, twelve hours later. Uh, I had had the film developed almost immediately. The first uh, it was a Saturday morning, and I had the film developed, and I prepared it to take over to show Marilyn. She wanted to see her pictures. This was not a time when we had digital photography like we have today. This was yeah. at a time when film had to be developed, and that process took at least three or four hours to, to have performed. And so by the following afternoon, I had the pictures, and I'd gone through them. But I went over to her Doheny uh, apartment again, where I'd been the, on that first evening, and I rang the doorbell, and nobody came. And I started to get very uncomfortable. I said we, to myself, we had a date, uh, and Marilyn said she wanted to see the pictures. And then the door eventually, after I rang it two or three times, cracked open like two inches. And I saw Marilyn wearing dark glasses and a uh, scarf over her head. And it was a dark Marilyn. And the room was darker than it had been. And I don't know what had occurred in that 12-hour period. But this was not the the uh, the, the woman, sort of the woman. girl next door I'd first known, or the sexually charged uh, screen Marilyn that I'd lived with that just twelve hours earlier. This was a dark Marilyn. Who knows what had happened? Was she talking with the White House? Was she talking with with what what brought her down? Yeah. And eventually, she got looking at the picture. She looked at them very quickly first and uh, said she'd like to take a break. And she left the room and uh, came back, and she looked at them some more, and she started to like certain ones. And eventually she picked a couple of the ones that are emphasized in in our book, An Evening with Marilyn, 1962. And um, uh, she she looked at those, and she started to talk about that girl, she's speaking of herself in the third person, that girl is the kind of a girl that any man would like to be in that bed with. She was squeezing a pillow. I guess that yeah. was uh, supposed to suggest a man. And she said, a truck driver. That excited her, the idea of a truck driver, a real man. Not yeah. a, a movie star, not a director, but a man's man. Wow. That's the kind of guy who would like to be in that bed with that girl. Wow. And that was what? the Marilyn I saw on that last evening. And then I was supposed to do more work with her, and I went off to Paris where I was working with Coco Chanel, and I came. I was coming back from our day's session in Paris and um, to my hotel, and I saw uh, the new, newspaper headlines, Marilyn est morte. I, I thought to myself, yeah. they don't mean my Marilyn is dead, my Marilyn. Well, wow. I was thinking maybe there's a Marilyn over here that I don't know about. And wow, uh, Marilyn, I, I talked with them at the hotel. They said, yes, uh, she died of 
uh, and then she was found. Uh, yeah, the, it was on the fifth of August, I believe, of nineteen sixty-two. Yeah, nineteen sixty-two. Yeah, that was that was the that was my ending, and I thought to myself in a very peculiar way. Well, Marilyn, I guess we won't have that session we talked about, that next session together. Yeah, but you had such a beautiful, what a beautiful context to have and what a wonderful memory that it is captured in all of your photos and your way of bringing your photos to life with this wonderful story. So I just want to say thank you so much, Douglas Kirkland, for being on the show today and sharing with us a little glimpse into that night back in 1961. I've been enjoyed being with you, and it's very nice to be here and talking about Marilyn. Thank All you very right. much. Thank you. Douglas Kirkland with Marilyn and Evening 1961 by Douglas Kirkland, published by Glitterati, Glitterati Incorporated. It's going to be available back on sale August 5th in this wonderful edition. This is Goodnight Marilyn Radio. I'm Nina Bosky, and we'll be back in just a moment. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you experiencing a relationship or a relation slip? Without the carefully measured balance of spirit and ego, it might not be what you want it to be. On Relation Slips with Dr. Bobby Summer and Lori Lynn Mann, we'll explore relationships from two unique ends of the spectrum. In addition, we'll have amazing guests, both experts and celebrities, and we'll hear from you too. Relation Slips can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Nina Bosky, and all hour we have been talking love, Marilyn style, as we're talking about the loves and sex appeal of Marilyn Monroe. My next guest is a distinguished Lois Banner, has a Ph.D. from Columbia University, and is an honored professor of history at the University of Southern California, where she taught for 30 years. She's an author of many books and scholarly uh, articles on women and gender, including two books on Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, Personal, a book 
taken from her file cabinets. And Marilyn, The Passion and the Paradox. It was listed by London Times as one of the best uh, 10 uh, books in 2012. So Lois, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be on it. Thank you. Well, glad to have you here. Obviously, you've done a lot of research and information as it relates to Marilyn in her life. But today we're talking about her loves. And I'd like to just kind of start from the beginning uh, for people that are just kind of learning about Marilyn in regards to her first husband. How did she really feel about him from your all of your research? Well, she had an adolescent crush on him. Uh, he was a big man on campus at the high school she was at. Uh, he was student body president and captain of the football team. And she was, uh, in, in terms of the high school, pretty much a nobody. So when he expressed some interest in her, she, she was really encouraged the whole situation. And when her uh, foster guardian said that he wanted to marry her, she was happy to do it. Wow. And so when she was uh, younger, though, I mean, also, it was, seems like it was kind of pushed or arranged. Is that correct? Um, it was suggested to her, but she wasn't that opposed to it. There, uh, her, uh, her guardian was leaving uh, Los Angeles, and Marilyn was not of age yet, so the guardian didn't exactly know what to do with her. And Marilyn might have had to go back to an orphanage, and she really didn't want to do that. So Jim Doherty was a very nice man. Uh, so at first, she was happy to marry him. And then what was the, do you think, the demise of their relationship? Um, well, after she married him, she was happy being a housewife for about a year. And then she found out that he really did not have the kind of super sensitive side that she liked. And she felt very oppressed by him, that he would go off with his his boyfriends and go to bars and leave her at home. And he would sort of, she had to do what he wanted. And then she, she really wanted to be a model. And so uh, then when he went overseas, uh, she got herself a job in in a factory, in an air, aircraft factory during the war, and then things just shifted for her. And they were they were married from 1942 to 1946, and then in um, January of 1954, which was you know almost nine years later, she uh, she is then marrying Joe DiMaggio. Tell us a little bit about that relationship. Well, that was a very fraught relationship uh, in the sense that uh, DiMaggio had many sides. He could be a very nice and loving, but he could also be very overbearing and very difficult. Uh, he was a Sicilian Italian man. He'd gone into baseball when he was still pretty much a teenager, become very famous, and um, she was attracted to him. In fact, she once said if sex was all there was to marriage, she'd still be married to him. 
um, I think she married him because she was uh, having a lot of problems in her career. She uh, wanted to be protected by his fame. Um, it's not that she didn't feel friendship for him. She really did. They, they were always somewhat good friends, bad friends, but it was, it was not a good idea to marry Joe DiMaggio. Well, because it, once married, he felt that he possessed his wife. So she, um, she felt to be very um, over, overtaken by him. He was incredibly neat. She was messy. Uh, <laughs> she was always late. He was always on time. The, the difficulties between them went on and on. Well, and also, you know, uh, next week we're going to have Mary Jane Pop on, uh, the, the co-author with June DiMaggio. And one of the things I remember in reading that book is it talks about that he would give her the silent treatment. And I can only imagine being Meryl and having that silent treatment might be uh, a challenging thing in terms of feeling rejected. Uh-huh. Very much so. Very much so. He was not above hitting her either. This is an Italian man who, when married, believes he possesses his wife. Yeah, so we're going to get we're going to circle back around to him in just a few minutes. But let's get, let's move on to Arthur Miller. Uh, she who's it seems like she was married to uh, quite a long time for her, nineteen fifty six to nineteen sixty one. Tell us a little bit about that relationship. Well, that was a very romantic relationship because they met. A number of years before they married, when he was out in Hollywood, and he met her at a party. She was a party girl at that party at that point in time in her life, and he fell for her immediately. Um, It was charisma. Uh, Douglas Kirkland talked about the charisma, and the charisma was really there. And uh, Arthur fell for it, too. He finally had to leave Hollywood before he thought he was going to leave Hollywood, because otherwise he felt that he was just going to have a disastrous affair with her, which he did not want to do. In other words, he was married, and he, he really didn't want to cheat on his wife. Then when she moved to New York a couple of years later, they met once again. Um, Arthur himself, many people who knew him talked about this. He was in his own way very attractive. He looked just like Abraham Lincoln or not a lot like Abraham Lincoln, and that was Marilyn's ideal. Uh, Marilyn was very smart. She became, in a sense, Arthur Miller's student in drama, in literature. He would train her, teach her, discuss it with her. They had this dream that he was going to be this, well, he was, this great playwright, and he would write plays for her. And together they would sort of uh, control the New York stage and movie production. It was all a huge fantasy that they both participated in. It sustained the relationship for a while, but not for a long time. Wow! Wow! So, so, and and you go. Let's go back a little bit because you said party girl. When I think of Marilyn, it seems like she had appearances of party girl, but she really wasn't the the, the you know the party girl that she's being portrayed as. What, what oh, when yes, you say she that? Was. Oh, you she think was. so? Hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. I I had the producers describe party girls to me. Uh, party girls were uh, very very high class. Uh, they were they they actually didn't think of themselves as prostitutes, but they would go out with men who were in Hollywood uh, for the studios, and they would sleep with them. Hmm. That was part so, of what they would do. She was so, so very so, sexually free. 
it's interesting because I love this uh, this conversation here because there's always these conflicting reports and all, as as you know in terms of your research obviously you're you're finding out uh, and have found out a lot of stuff as well and then you hear the conflicting reports that she really she really wasn't that type of person even though she would uh, have that persona so it's 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 a uh, it's interesting when we start to break down you know who was Marilyn put, Monroe I would I would put my research up against anybody. Wow. Well, this is interesting. I talked to a lot of people. I read hundreds of books. Well, that's a, that's always a, a yeah, of course, you know, and obviously you've done a lot of research with this. It's just interesting as we start the conversation and been d- doing this conversation, how you hear these conflicting reports about who Marilyn was. So it's it's interesting one to uh, look at from that perspective, and especially back in the day of the studio system when they were almost required to you know go out with the the male executives. But let's move on because there's a lot to cover here. How about Robert Slatzer? There is so much controversy about him, and you know he says he was married to her, but there's not really any, uh, you know, any real evidence about her, him really being married to her, let alone having a very specific relationship. How would you describe Robert Slater's relationship with Marilyn? Um, he knew her. In her early days in Hollywood, it, it was not that large a community. And so people who were struggling in Hollywood uh, would form friendships. Uh, so she knew him. Um, she had many male friends in, in that early period. Uh, she was never married to him. No, yeah. not at all. Yeah, yeah so there's no, not the evidence is conclusive. She wasn't married to him. That's that's interesting because I think that that you know from the perspective of what you're talking about here is we're trying to dispel fact from fiction and that one it, you know keeps coming up because it's in those documentaries it's in books etc and just to bring it to light that there is enough information out there to conclude that Marilyn Monroe was not married to Robert oh. Slater so that's that's an important distinguish that we're that we're making here um, yeah. the other thing is is we have to take a quick break um, when we come back we're going to continue the conversation with Lois Banner talking about the loves of Marilyn Monroe. Good night, Marilyn Radio. I'm Nina Bosky, and we'll be back in just a moment. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Dance Talk Radio has come to Voice America. Join host Tracy Marciniak and her celebrity guests every week for a show that takes you inside the world of dance. What's it like working with stars like Katy Perry and Taylor Swift? The experts share their stories and the -the behind-the-scenes secrets. Plus, inside tips to become a better dancer, instructor, or studio owner. Dance on over to the Voice America Variety Channel every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific for Dance Talk Radio. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and Friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com.
You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I My guest is the distinguished Lois Banner, her latest book, The Passion and the Paradox. We're talking about the loves of Marilyn Monroe. Jamie from the UK uh, just emailed us and said, out of all of Marilyn's husbands, who do you think she loved the most? Oh, no question. Arthur Miller. Arthur that Miller. The, yeah, that was the love of her life. And she was very upset when the divorce occurred. Uh, it, it just, uh, the relationship had uh, just gone to pieces. She really had to divorce him, but she didn't want to. And why, what was, uh, for the people that may not know, what was the reason for their divorce? Um, well, it was mostly because um, they could hardly talk to each other. She'd had an affair with Eve Montand. And very public one, and they had fought horribly uh, on the set um, of um, the last film they made together, and it, it couldn't continue. She was very angry with him. He, she felt he'd taken over her career and was uh, using it for his own ends, and uh, she had she had some proof for that. It's not. It wasn't crazy on her part to think that way. So let's fast forward uh, to the time around her death. Uh, There's a lot of rumors um, and a lot of uh, information out there that suggests that she and Joe DiMaggio were going to get remarried. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I certainly have looked at all of that, uh, and he certainly was trying to help her in those last months. I I doubt very strongly that she really did intend to remarry him. She had plans to go to New York, to restudy at the actor's studio, to do um, uh, sit for uh, magazine covers. She was discussing other films. I don't I don't see uh, the relationship with Dimaggio as something that she wanted permanently. She liked his friendship. Uh, I don't think she really wanted to be married to him. So in in regards to, uh, you know, her, uh, you know, needing and wanting a protector, it seemed like that that's kind of what he operated in, in her life from what I've read. So uh, even he with that... Go ahead. Mm. Go ahead. He, Okay, he did protect her. There is no question about that. He got her out of the horrible mental institution. There is no issue about that either. But there's also an issue about how he would treat her if she married him again. And also the issue of, uh, I know he thought she was going to marry him, but there's no proof on her part. There's only what he said to his family. There are no phone calls from him the last week before she died. No one's found those phone calls. 
Yeah, because the 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 rumor or the the theory is is that they were actually going to get married the day that uh, was actually Marilyn's funeral. So it's just very interesting, you know, when you when you start to break this down, what is fact, what is fiction, what is probable theory, and what is outlandish rumor here. So the interesting well, thing is, yeah, he was really upset by her affairs with the Kennedys. Really upset by that, but he had to put up with a lot from her. She had an agreement with him that uh, she could do what she wanted, that they had an open relationship. And that comes from Ralph Roberts, uh, whose memoir very few people have seen, although it's available, you can see it. And Ralph Roberts was her best friend and her, uh, her masseuse. So, uh, Monsieur, and uh, she would tell, she told him everything, and that's in his memoir. Ralph Roberts. About, uh, her relationship with Joe DiMaggio. Well, that's very interesting. So, so you know, that's, uh, you know, for, for us that is, uh, you know, breaking this down and looking at the, uh, you know, what people are saying. And, and part of for us to say fact is that there is multiple sources or it's actually out there in black and white that it's a fact. If not, it's probable theory because until we can understand, you know, even if June DiMaggio, you know, which is Joe DiMaggio's, uh, you know, family member said that they were going to get married, where is the proof from marriage? Maryland side. So I think that's a very interesting point that we'll have to explore in later shows. So, yeah. so is I think, there... I think oh. that people, there's a lot of research out there, a lot of data out there that people are speaking from old information and they really need to do some more research. Well, I think that, you know, from that perspective, there's so much out there, and I'm learning as I'm going through this radio show, so I'm sure as the listeners are as well, is there's so much, and what really is the fact versus these theories, and what I've also noticed, especially in documentaries, what they do is they, um, one documentary won't check their sources, and they'll just go to the next documentary and take that as fact, so I think this is a, a very compelling conversation just in the regards to who she really loved and what were some of her relationships. Are there any other relationships? Remember, remember that when she was married to Joe, Di, to Joe DiMaggio, she had a lot of affairs. And she told Hal Schaefer, the musician, that she was going to marry him. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. This is yeah. So I think again, you know, um really being able to substantiate, you know, who she really was in relationship with, who she was obviously we know who she's married to because that's a legal document. Is there anybody else that from her past that you feel that she really loved that uh, maybe not be one of her husbands? Well, the, the main person that I can mention is Hal Schaefer. She really wow. did love him, and there were people who felt that she really should be married to a uh, musician. That was and the kind of person. She also was. She also was very much in love with Fred Carger, uh, who was also a musician. But she, he, he, he didn't marry her. Uh, he didn't want to, and so uh, that that broke apart pretty early in her. Um, adult life. Very interesting. We'll we'll have to explore this more in other other shows, Lois. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, a wealth of information, and especially if we move into the television version of Goodnight Marilyn, which is going to what be called you, the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say someone should have a scholarly conference, and everyone should bring their research notes. Oh, and I see love who's that. Got, who's making it up and who's actually got data. 
That is a beautiful idea. I love that mm-hmm. idea. I mm-hmm. really, really love that idea. That is that, and I think that that would, as as a lot of this stuff is starting to be unveiled, and we're looking at the the true investigation, not from a sensational level. I think that's an excellent idea, mm-hmm. and uh, we will uh, sure, I'm sure, continue the conversation. As always, thank you so much for being on today's show. It was a wonderful experience to have you here today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. All right, and uh, you are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. We've been talking about love, Maryland style, the loves and sex appeal of Marilyn Monroe. Well, that wraps up this week's show. I can't believe we keep on wrapping up. The we- the weeks and the hours go by so quickly. I'd like to thank my guest, Lois Banner, her latest book, The Passion and the Paradox, Douglas Kirkland with Marilyn, an evening back in 1961 by Douglas Kirkland, published by Glitterati Incorporated, available for sale August 5th, 2015. Holly Beaven, a wonderful uh, Marilyn impersonator. Next week, we're going to have some fun and a compelling show when we take a look at a little closer look at Joe DiMaggio when we hear from Mary Jane Pop, the co-author with Joe DiMaggio's niece, June DiMaggio, on the book Marilyn, Joe, and Me. And I also have a very special guest on with us. We're going to talk about Marilyn as it relates to quantum physics, and that'll be wonderful. The theme of next week's show, Good Morning, Joe. Well, until next time, I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Marilyn Radio, and remember, never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. <music>